Today's scripture reading is from Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning. I mean, good afternoon, church. Uh, I've, never, I've never preached on Sunday this late. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Duck Jin. Uh, everybody calls me DJ. Uh, you know, people call me at church Pastor DJ. But these days, I'm more uh, used to being called Chaplain DJ because I'm a, a hospice chaplain. So uh, many of you probably know uh, what hospice is. Um, so as a pastor working in hospice, uh, I, al- I always visit people with terminal illnesses, so people who are dying, and I pray, uh, pray with them, try to uh, share the gospel with them, uh, try to let them know the hope that God has given to us. And, you know, uh, this is hospice, uh, not a church, so we actually have some, not some, but, you know, a lot of non-Christian uh, patients too. But because of the, uh, the nature of hospice, I have some freedom uh, to talk about my faith with them as long as they're okay. But um, uh, one thing that I found out um, outside of church ministry is that uh, there are so many Catholics in the United States, but most of them are, I should say many of them are, nominal Catholics. So they think God is God, and they don't really, uh, they don't know the difference between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, don't say that to any uh, Catholic friends that you have, but they don't know the difference. So um, they think God is God, Jesus is Jesus, Bible is Bible, all same thing. So that uh, makes my job easier to reach out to them, and uh, I share the gospel, uh, gospel to uh, many of those people too. And uh, if I have enough time uh, towards the end of my message, that you know, uh, I'll probably try to share uh, how I became a hospice chaplain. But I remember some of you from the uh, QPEM years. Uh, that was like, what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when uh, Pastor Francis was um, QPEM lead pastor, and I was the uh, youth pastor in the same church. Uh, we went to the same school. And, you know, yeah, like uh, what uh, Elder Zay just said, uh, we've known each other for over 25 years now. So I'm very glad, very happy to be here uh, to share the Word of God, uh, especially in the church that uh, my good friends, uh, Pastor Francis and Pastor James, serve. Um, I come here from time to time uh, whenever I'm on call on Sunday because I have to stay nearby, near Bergen and Passaic area. But... Um, uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, I just, you know, hope that uh, God would uh, bless all of us today uh, through this 
passage. But let me just uh, pray again shortly, and I'll begin. Dear Lord, Father, God, uh, thank you so much for uh, bringing all of us here to, uh, together here to worship you, Lord. Uh, thank you for giving us such a wonderful community of faith. Lord, Father, God, please open our ears and open our hearts and open my lips to proclaim your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we just read uh, this passage from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. But this is what's happening in the town of Nazareth. Jesus was teaching in in the synagogue, and the people from Nazareth, they're actually looking at Jesus, teaching the law. And verse 2 said, it says, these people were astonished as they were looking at Jesus, teaching the law. They're astonished. Not that they were amazed. Wow. So profound. Wow, Jesus. No, it's not that. But they're more perplexed. So they're like, huh? Jesus? He's teaching the law? He's performing the miracles? Why him? How can he do that? It was that type of response. Verse 3, it actually explains why their response was like that. In verse 3, it says, we all know him, don't we? It's Jesus, the son of Mary. We, we, we know his family. We know his brothers, and his sisters are still living in this town, and we know this guy. He grew up here. We all know him. There's nothing special about him. Ordinary. He's just one of us. Nobody special. How is it possible that he's teaching the precious, uh, he's teaching the precious word of God, and he is even performing miracles? How is that possible? And towards the end of verse three, it says, "They took offense at him. They were offended. They were well. The the uh, uh, closer translation to the original language is they're they're they're." Uh, scandalized by him. They're offended by him. They were pretty upset that this guy, nobody, Jesus, is handling the word of, the, the precious word of God and he's performing the miracles. They're not happy with that at all. In verse 4, Jesus said, the prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. In verse 5, could do no mighty work there means um, the power of his mighty works was not needed there. But he laid his hands, he still laid his hands upon a few sick people. And he marveled, verse 6, because of their unbelief. Now Jesus is no belief, no faith, and he just went on to other villages to continue his ministry. That's what the, uh, the passage says here. The point that uh, I want to focus on is the fact that they were offended. 
by Jesus. They're scandalized by Jesus. He's not special. He has no uh, prestigious background of good uh, education from a good rabbi, nothing like that. He, he was a carpenter. He was just one of the ordinary people from the town. And they could not acknowledge him as a good teacher of the law. And they're saying, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? See, they were offended like this for two reasons. Number one, because they did not understand the pattern of the work of the Lord. The pattern of how God works for his people in this world. Throughout the entire Bible, the way that God works is this. He always reaches down to the lowly. He always comes down to where his people, the sinners, are. Well, I gave uh, two different uh, passages before, but the first one is this. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this. Well, this is uh, what God said to the Israelites, uh, to, to actually the, uh, to Moses. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people Israelites who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I have come down. Moses, I saw my people having a hard time. I heard them crying, and I know their suffering. So I have come down to help them out. I have come down to be with them, to walk among them. God came down to his people. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. I mean, we are very familiar with this passage too, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our God, who is up in the heavens, who could have just ordered us to do this and that, he actually came down to where we live. He came down himself to live with us, to be among us, to be one of us. This is the world, the place that he chose to come down. He always reached down to the lowly. And it actually began with the very beginning of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. When Adam and Eve were hiding behind the trees, God came down the garden first. And he said, where are you? He reached out to the sinner first says, where are you? 
That's the pattern of how God works for his people. He comes down to the place where the sinners are. It's not like that with us, right? We always try to go up. We try to climb up the ladder of the social, social hierarchies. We try to go up the ladder of success. We try to be at the higher position. We try to show other people that, you know what, I'm up here and you are down there. I am better than you. We always pray for a better future and better life. We always try to go up and up, climbing the ladder, the social standing. This is exactly the opposite of how God works. So we never understand the pattern of God, God's work. And this is what's happening with the people in Nazareth. They say, oh, Jesus, he's just one of us, ordinary person, a boy from our neighborhood, our everyday life. He's not special. But that's how God works. He, God chooses the person from the ordinary neighbor, uh, from the ordinary daily life, and he works through that person. And God himself, he came down in a human form, in Jesus, and he's now working among his people and people of Nazareth. They don't understand that. So that's the first reason that they were offended. They didn't understand the pattern of God's work. Number two, they're not aware that God always would choose somebody to carry out his works. God always chooses a servant to show his people that he's there and he wants to save them. In the entire Bible, in the Old Testament, we know God chose Moses, Aaron, prophets, kings. He always works through them. And he shows his people that I am your God, I am your king, I am your master. So listen to what these people say. They are my servants. God always works through his servants. And at this time, God works through his son, Jesus. But these people of the town, Nazareth, they don't recognize that. They don't remember the fact that God always chooses his servants to work through. See, in uh, verse at the end, towards the end of verse 2. How, they, they, this is what they're saying. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Jesus' hands. The hands of a carpenter. The hands that build houses. The, the hands that make furniture. The hands that work with piece of, pieces of wood, woods, stones. The, the hands that carve woods and hammer stones. How can mighty works 
miracles of God be done by those hands. These people are not understanding that God has chosen those hands, the hands of carpenter, to show all these miraculous works. They're always about, you know, we welcome the people who are in good standing socially. Like, like I said before, they're always about better future and better life. That's what they're always praying for. And that's what we do too. We always try to achieve the goals that we've never got close to. We always try to obtain the wealth that we never, we never had. We always try to become somebody that we have never been. And we pray for those. We pray for those. We always pray for things that are never certain in our lives, in the future. We never know if this is going to happen or not, but we pray and pray and pray for those things. One thing that I realized after I, after I became a, a hospice chaplain is this. There is only one thing, there's only one thing that is guaranteed in everyone's life, only one thing, same for everybody, which is death. Death. We're all going to die. We just don't know when. But there's only one thing that we all know for, so, for, for sure. We are going to die. So I actually do my work to prepare, to prepare good death for my patients. But then outside of hospice, I also realize that people live continue in their journey like they're never going to die. They work so hard. They work so hard for a better future, maybe thinking that they're going to live forever in this, in this world. But all these things are never guaranteed for anybody. The pattern that God works. He reaches down to the sinners, and he works through his servants. The people of Nazareth, they surely did not respond to God appropriately. There was no faith in them. See, these people, they knew about God. They knew about the word of God, which was a law at this time. They knew about the miracles that Jesus was performing among themselves. They were aware of God and his works. But they had no faith to respond right to God and to God's works. They had no faith. You know, it's so possible to be churchgoers with no faith. 
we go to church every Sunday and we sit in the pews, we sing the worship songs. But we're not really responding with faith. We talk about God, but we don't respond to God with faith. We like talking about theology. We like filling our minds with the knowledge of theology, but there's no faith. We enjoy the debate with the topics, different topics of apologetics. But having faith is a different story. And Jesus marveled at lack of faith here. That's what verse 6 says. Before that, in verse 5, Jesus only laid his hand upon a few sick people. And these are the people who responded to Jesus. A few sick people. People who were desperate to be reached. People who were desperate for help. They were ready to respond with faith. Vulnerable people. If we are not vulnerable, all we seek is to climb, uh, to climb up the ladder of, the, of social hierarchy, we never consider ourselves as sick people, vulnerable ones. Because we think we're always ready for something better. Ready. I'm ready for a better life. I'm ready for for. for more blessing. Never, I'm never vulnerable. Never desperate for any kind of help. So if we are not sick, if we do not realize that we must be vulnerable and desperate for God's help, we are never going to be able to respond with faith to God. You know, reaching down uh, to the vulnerable, laying hands on a few sick people, working with the people who are in need, we don't see these anymore because, like I said, we're always about climbing up the ladder. And, you know, that happens a lot with churches and pastors these days, too. Pastors want to lead a, a big church. Churches want financial stability with more people. You know, I used to serve some <clears throat> different churches, but some of them were actually mega churches, right? Mega churches, like a couple thousand people. And, you know, um, uh, QPEM, I mean, you know, uh, KPC, KAPCQ, that's, you know, it was one of them. But I, I served some different mega churches as an assistant pastor. 
when I was, uh, uh, when I was an assistant pastor in California, some, some of the people that I used to know in seminary years, they started calling me. Said, oh, DJ, how are you? Oh, this is so-and-so. Do you remember me? Say, yeah, I remember you. Well, you were never that close. <laughs> well, what's up? <laughs> I never said that, but, you know, oh, yeah, what's up? How are you? And the person says, oh, you know, uh, I've been doing this and that. You know, uh, this is uh, the ministry that I'm involved with right now. And then he says, could you set up a meeting with your senior pastor so that I could explain to him about my ministry and the goal and the vision that I have through this ministry? Just because, you know, I was serving a mega church, they wanted to use me as a stepping stone to my senior pastor. And I go, my senior pastor, he's like a godfather of this mega church. You know, I don't even see him. How can I, you know, set up that meeting for you, right? Things like that. Even churches and pastors. We have the wrong ambition with no faith. Well, my, my good friend, uh, Pastor Francis, never does that stuff. You know. he's, uh, uh, he's, very, he's a very faithful man with unchanging character. You know. He's always consistent. Consistently, he never calls me. Consistently, he never answers my phone call you know, whenever I call him. You know. The only way I could see him is uh, uh, for me to come to his church, and I only see him preach or preaches. You know. That's the only time I, I see him. So he's, he's not really a good friend of mine, but he, he's a good pastor to me. He's a moksanim, you know? Anyways, the faith, the lack of faith is what prevents us from responding to our faithful God. And God shows us this is how I work. And I want you to do the same thing. If you really understood the meaning of the gospel, because I always, I'm always willing to reach down to the lowly, I want you to do the same thing. Instead of looking up and look for the things above in the higher places, look around and look down. And Seek the people who are behind. They are the ones who are sick. They are the ones who are desperate for your help, for my presence. And we call it compassion. Compassion. That's the principle of the message of the gospel. Be compassionate. Without Compassion will never be the disciples of the gospel. We'll always serve ourselves for a better future and for a better life, for me and my family. There's no compassion in that kind of life. There's no compassion in that kind of prayer topics. Look at God. Look at Jesus. And there are always 
people around us who are sick, who are desperate. For Jesus, there are only a few people who are sick and who were ready to respond to Jesus. Only a few, not many, not the majority. But Jesus was sent by God for that purpose. Even just a few people was always okay for Jesus. Jesus was still being obedient to God's call to be with those few people, to bless them, and to heal them, and to deliver the message of the hope, the eternal hope to them. You know, whenever the church was the majority in the society, whenever Christianity was the majority in the society, it was very easy for us to be corrupt. When the church was the majority in society, that's when the Christians were corrupt. God never cared how many, how efficient you could be in carrying out these tasks. Even just a few people, those are the, those are the ones that God sees. And we are the ones that he has chosen to be with those people. And that's the purpose of the church in this generation to be used by God. When God wants to reach down to the lowly, we have been chosen by his will, purpose. And we are being sent out to the world to serve those few people. And in order for us to do that, to complete that task, the key is compassion. Compassion. So what do we do? We just abandon all our assets, good houses, good jobs, and family, and the money, and we just go out for uh, the homeless people on the street? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Compassion is not just for those things. If there are 10 people in the church, those 10 people have hearts for different types of people. Like, one person in this church may have the heart for a mission. The other person might have the heart for homeless people in the city. For missions, somebody may have hearts for China. Somebody may have hearts for Africa. Somebody have, might have heart for North Korea. My good friend, Pastor James, James Lee, he just took his family to the Philippines to live there for good. Me, I don't think I could ever do that. 
compared to him and like Paul and Susan, I don't really have the heart for missions. I don't really know how to do the missions. But for me, compassion that God gave me is the hospital. Hospital. You know, when I was at the, uh, the same church as QPEM, uh, KAPCQ, Korean American Presbyterian Church of Queens. What, what, what a long name for a church. But when I was at the church, the senior pastor there, Pastor uh, Reverend Chang, he passed away. But one thing that I remember, one thing that I remember from him, he used to say all the time, you know, who, if somebody's sick in your church, the pastor's job is to visit that person as often as possible, especially in an immigrant church. Because an immigrant, when, when, when an immigrant is ill, the chances are he probably doesn't have too many people who could take care of him. So it's the pastor's job, it's the church's job to take care of the sick person. And Reverend Chang always told us, if somebody's ill, you must go there as often as possible. And that just remained uh, remain in my head for a long time. When I went out to California to serve that, you know, mega church, mega church, I was assigned to this uh, parish because it was a huge church. And, you know, each assistant pastor, the associate pastor, uh, was assigned to different areas. And I was assigned to this group of people in L.A., Los Angeles area. And, you know... Uh, how it is, like Koreatown. There are, there are a lot of Korean elder, elderly people in L.A. who came to the United States like in the uh, 70s and 80s. And by the time I started serving the church, serving uh, the parish in L.A., they were old, getting old, and many of them were ill. Remembering what Reverend Chang had taught me, you know, I went out to visit them often as possible. You know, uh, the church was actually in Anaheim, and it was pretty far from Los Angeles, actually. And that's why they gave me that area, because, you know, I was a newbie, and they said, you know, uh, the one who's just starting, the new pastor has to be in charge of, you know, the parish that's far out there. Okay, I'll do that. So I started visiting these elderly people who are ill, and I ended up officiating many of their funeral services, too, because it was a big church, and you know, the senior pastor couldn't do all the funeral for everybody, because there are so many. I was 31. My first funeral, officiating, <coughs> officiating the, first, the first funeral in my life, I did it when I was 31. And you know what? I really felt like that was the call for me. I really enjoyed visiting the ill, spend time with them, spending time with them, and wrapping up everything, all their life journey with officiating their funeral service. So I, I began to look for a full-time job that I could only do that, and then I found out about hospital. 
I followed my compassion, where my compassion went. My friends, I know each of you probably has something that you feel compassionate for. It might be different for all of you, but there should be something, at least one thing. When I was a worship pastor uh, at this church not too far from Sojourner here, so this was after like five years of uh, hospice chaplaincy. You know, my wife and I came down. Uh, moved down to New Jersey, and, you know, um, I started serving this church in uh, Bergen. You know, Bergen, as we all know, such an, I mean, not everywhere, but affluent area. People are pretty well off. You don't really see too many people who are desperate in this area. So one day, I told myself, you know what, maybe I should go out to do something to seek those people who are desperate. So I went out to the city of Manhattan. I did that once a week in the summertime uh, with uh, bottles of water in my backpack ice cold water and just, you know, give the water to some homeless people just to, you know, talk to them, uh, pray for them, things like that. In the wintertime, I uh, had coffee uh, in a thermal bottle. And, you know, I used to uh, go out for prayers with some homeless people, too. One day, I met this guy. His name was Darius, 7th Avenue. Hello, my name is DJ. I'm a pastor uh, at this church in uh, Bergen, New Jersey. I just you know, came out to the city to uh, meet some people who might want prayers. And, you know, uh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. My name is Darius. Uh, do you want one? Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you're such a nice guy. And we talked and talked. He just, you know, shared a lot about his family background and things like that. But then as time went by, his voice was elevated. His voice got elevated. And he just started sharing about what he's not happy about, what he's not happy with his life. And his voice got elevated even more more, more, and he was angry and furious about so many things. He's like, oh, this world is not fair. This society is not fair. You know, my girlfriend uh, uh, called cop, and, you know, they, they put me in prison. I didn't do anything. You know, this world is not fair, but you're a nice guy. And then he started again, but, you know, uh, immigrants, even immigrants have better jobs than I do. They have more money than I do, but you're a nice guy. But he was furious and angry. He started like yelling and screaming, and 
It almost seemed like he was yelling at me. All these people walking by, they were looking at him, looking at me. I was like, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. But he was just going on and on and on. And Darius said, hey, you want to know how, how it feels to be sitting here with this sign? No, there's a sign that says, I'm homeless. Anything would help, please. That sign, he was handing that over to me. And you know what, DJ? Hold this sign and you sit here. Sit right here. But I couldn't say no because, you know, I, I approached him as a good Christian. I couldn't say no, and that's my problem. All the time, I cannot say no to people. So I actually held that sign and sat where he was. And he came over to the other side. And he still goes on and on, and he's still screaming, yelling, and I was sitting there with the sign. You might think, just holding the sign for a couple of minutes, you know, what, what's, so, uh, what's so difficult about that? Imagine all these people in the city walking by, and you have to hold a homeless sign and just sitting there and see. It's not that difficult just to give out water or coffee to the homeless people. But being in their place, experiencing what kind of life they, they are living, sitting at the spot where the homeless person was sitting, whole different story. I was sitting there with the sign just for a minute, just for a minute. I wanted to get up and leave, but, you know, this guy, Darius, he was just going on and on, and he, I, I couldn't say anything. I, I still had to listen to him. I couldn't go. I couldn't go anywhere. God, when he reached down to the sinners, when he reached out to you and me, he, he didn't just give you water bottles. He didn't just give you a gift of money, a job, knowledge, ability to su succeed in your life. He didn't just hand over to you whatever he had. He actually came to you. He took your spot to live just like you, to be one of us. He took that spot of a sinner. Me, sitting there with the homeless sign that was so embarrassing. Didn't want to do that. Wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. Jesus volunteered to take the spot for you. Gladly. 
sacrificed himself. One thing that the people of Nazareth did not understand, as I said, was God uses his servant's hands to make things happen. God always puts a mediator between him and his people. In the Old Testament, it was the prophets, kings. And in the New Testament was Jesus. And these people in Nazareth, they said, we don't need him. He's not so special. He's too ordinary. I mean, we all know him. We all know his family. We, we, we don't want him. We don't need him. We know God. We know his words. We, we, know, his, we know about his miracles. We could always deal with God directly. And you know what? That's what we do when we enjoy talking about God but have no faith in Jesus. We, we enjoy debating on theological issues, but we have no faith in Jesus. We try to deal with God directly, but we just forget about Jesus. We don't care about the mediator. We think we could deal with God directly. No. But do you know what we end up doing when we try to deal with God directly? We just see God as genie in Latin. God, give me this, give me that. You know my wish. Do this for me. Do that for me. Give me a better future. Give me a better life. Give me more money. Give me success. That's what we end up doing with God when there's no Jesus, when there's no faith in Jesus. You see? The real disciples of Jesus were these these few sick People had not, who had nothing. People who were crying out just for one more day to live. Desperate. Vulnerable. That's the pattern of our Lord. How he works. Brothers and sisters, so now, Where is your compassion? You might want to reach out to the folks at your work. That's fine. Your compassion is for your coworkers. That's fine. Do that. I mean, you don't always always have to start with sharing the gospel, but you could start with buying a cup of coffee or buying lunch or just sharing about your weekend with them. But there must be a group, of, a group of people that you have heart for. That's a compassion that God has planted in your heart. And you got to be obedient. you got to be obedient. Not everyone's called for a mission. 
Not everyone's called for church ministry. Not everyone's called for uh, uh, Sunday school. Okay? But in your everyday life, there must be a group of people, or at least one person that you feel compassionate for. And that's the one that God has used has chosen you for. Let's be your ears. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father God, we thank you for your teaching and the message that you have given to us through this passage from Mark chapter 6. And Lord, we now see why we need Jesus, why we need a mediator, And now we understand the the pattern of how you work among your people. Lord, we don't want to continue in this journey, the Christian journey, with no faith. That's not a Christian journey. Lord, Father, God, we really want to be more Christian, living our lives in the way that Jesus would have lived his life in this world. Being compassionate, Lord. Seeking even just few people who are ready to say yes to you, who are desperate to be reached by your gospel. Lord Father, help us to understand that you have chosen us to be your church in this world so that we could reach out to those people as your servants, as your tools. We will obey you, Lord. Thank you for all the opportunities to serve you and to serve those whom you love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.